right, all right. Well, it's going to be a good one. How about you guys go ahead and take your seat? Thanks so much, Ben, for, for leading us. I'm just really grateful for you guys. This is the halfway point in our gathering. You, you doing good? You look good. You look really good in your Easter pastels. And again, it's just uh, it's so, so good to be outside uh, for Easter like this. I think years down the road, we're, gonna, we're all going to look back and go, you remember that year we had Easter outside? Why, why did we even have to do that? We should do that every year. And it's just so nice. And uh, I tell you, uh, full sun and 55 degrees, right? Can we praise God for that? That's pretty cool. You know, uh, when we put this on the calendar, we knew it was a big risk with the weather and all. And uh, this is about as close to uh, gambling as a pastor can get, right? And so, uh, man, I'm just really... Really grateful. I think Easter outside is going to give us a really unique perspective. You know what the, the average temperature is in Jerusalem on Holy Week and on Passover week? 55 degrees. So we are, we are living it right now. We are, we are kind of experiencing what it felt like, not inside of a stuffy tomb, but outside in the open. Jesus is alive. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to just pray that God would speak to your hearts in this time. And then we'll, uh, we'll get rolling. God, we just commit it to you. God, thank you for every single person that is here right now. God, we know that you have brought them here on purpose for a reason. And Father, I pray that you would speak to their hearts in a very real and pointed way. God, whenever we come together to hear from you in your scriptures, you say that it doesn't return void. And so I pray that that would take place again today, that your word would not return void, that it would, it would speak to our hearts in a very real in a powerful way. And so we just commit it to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, so much of that first Easter for Jesus was spent outside, outside of the tomb. And so he was outside of the tomb with Mary Magdalene in, in the garden and spent some time with her there. He was outside of the tomb in this long seven-mile walk that we're going to look at today, actually. And so uh, if you have a Bible, uh, you can get on over to, to Luke chapter 24. If you don't, you got the church app by now, hopefully, so you can check in. We have a Bible in the bottom right there, Luke chapter 24. You can just listen along, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. This is the time of year where us Bostonians feel like we just have to get outside. You've been cooped up, usually with a long, hard winter, and so we get outside. I love going across the street there to Harvard's Arboretum, where we can uh, go on a, on a run or a walk or... Or we can, you know, you can walk your dog or scooter or rollerblade or hoverboard or I don't know, whatever it is that you do. We like to get outside. And uh, I, I just imagine uh, that as we sit here outside and just breathe in that, that, that good, crisp spring air, just thinking about the fact that, that this is kind of the temperature that we would imagine that Jesus was able to experience. This is the vibe. We hear the birds chirping and we see the, the tips of the trees just starting to bud. And so Easter outside, Jesus is outside of the tomb. Question for all of you. Has anybody ever passed out before? You ever passed out where you, maybe you're in a wedding and you're one of the bridal party and you lock your legs and you start to get dizzy or I don't know what, what the environment was, but you pass out and you know things start to get a little fuzzy and then all of a sudden, bam, you're out. Uh, a number of years back, I led a, a team of 30 students through Central America, so El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras, and I've always kind of prided myself in having a strong stomach. You know, I don't get sick. Other people get sick, but I can eat anything, and I don't get sick. Well, I was about to get humbled. I must have ate something really bad and or drank something, and I passed out right there somewhere in Guatemala. And as I came to, I remember my eyes were still closed, but I could hear 
crying all around me. Distinctively, I remember my wife crying and my brother-in-law crying. And I, I, I then remember feeling, while my eyes were still closed, somebody pumping on my my chest and I opened up my eyes and there was this Guatemalan man who I guess watched one too many episodes of Baywatch and was doing CPR on my chest even though I had just passed out. Now he wasn't doing a very good job because my heart wasn't being massaged. He was doing this unnecessary CPR on my chest that got everybody all worked up, hence all the the tears, but you know how it is, after you, after you wake up from passing out, people will kind of be around you and, and say, you know, let's just take it easy. Give you some water and, and take it easy for a few hours, and I may or may not have, uh, have uh, milked that a little bit. But uh, hey, catch this, it's Easter Sunday, and Easter Sunday, Jesus has been out cold, dead actually, for three days, and he wakes up, and, and rather than taking it easy, what does Jesus do? He goes on a seven-mile walk dead this morning and this afternoon he's going on a hike and he comes along two of his disciples who are they're, they're struggling a bit they're, they're they're struggling a bit now we believe that the the resurrection of jesus that jesus died and came back to life is not some legend that that we just kind of mindlessly buy into you know it's the same as as unicorns we believe that it's historically verifiable and we'll get to to that in just a little bit but I, I will say this that if you have doubts and i think we could all if we were really to be honest i won't make you raise your hand but we all have have doubts from time to time if you struggle in faith from time to time if you've ever even walked away from god maybe some of you are there right now and this is just kind of a thing that you do a tradition that you do i want you to hear this i want you to hear that that god is not mad at you for your doubts god is not mad at you for your struggles. You ever feel that way? Like, I wonder if, if God were near me, would he want to hang out with me? Would he be mad at me? Listen, he's not mad at you. In fact, God wants to just, just be with you and to address your struggles. And I believe that in God's perfect plan, he's brought all of us here today. And he, this is his way of saying, I'm coming alongside of you and I want to spend some time with you. And so for the next little while, we're going to have Jesus come alongside of us and, and put yourself in the disciples' shoes as they're walking with Jesus in this kind of environment 55 degrees crisp air walk outside with jesus look at luke chapter 24 we're going to read the first couple of verses for our passage 13 and 14 it says that very day two of them were going to a village named emmaus about seven miles from jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened so here we have two disciples of jesus and it says that they're they're walking and it says on that very day they're out and about what is that day it's today it's a resurrection Sunday, the very first resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus resurrected. And, and so we know that this is probably midday afternoon from when the ladies that morning discovered the, the empty tomb, as Becky read earlier. And these, these disciples are walking together and they're going to a town called Emmaus. And what you'll see down in verse 16 is, is we learn that one of them, their name is Cleopas, and uh, the other person is unnamed. But if you were to look at John chapter 19, you discover that that there's a woman named Mary, the wife of Cleopas, standing right there at the cross of Jesus. And so uh, we have uh, Cleopas and his wife, Mary, walking on this road. Anybody ever just kind of heard that story and always just assumed two men? Why do we do that? It was a husband and a wife, as we see in the scriptures. And they were so close to Jesus that they had been there with Jesus at the cross a few days earlier. Now they're going to Emmaus from Jerusalem where it all went down, where Jesus was, was uh, crucified and buried. And, and so they're going seven miles that way towards Emmaus. Here's what that means. It means that they are going home. They're going home. 
right? You don't go from Jerusalem to a small town like Emmaus to run errands, just like we wouldn't leave Boston to go to, say, Dover, Mass, to, to run errands. They're heading that way because they're going home. Cleopas and Mary are thinking, you know what, I guess our Jesus season is over. It was a good run, but it's been a few days and he's dead. So we're going to take off. And it says that they're talking to each other along the way about all the things that had taken place. And you imagine they're trying to just make sense of everything. I mean, they were all in for Jesus. They had been right there with him to the bitter end on the cross. But now apparently he's dead. Game over. So they're asking, I imagine, what do we what do we do with our lives? There's a lot for them to, to talk about. And, and I wonder if anybody here has been in, in Cleopas and Mary's shoes. Literally, they're heading to Emmaus, but maybe for you, figuratively, like them, they, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're going to do next. And maybe you're just kind of walking and you're just kind of living life and you're like, I don't know what the, the, the big picture is, what the, the grand scheme of things is. Ask yourself, what is it that I'm pursuing? Is it a spouse? Is it a relationship? Is it career? Is it family? Is it uh, money? Is it success? Is that really what I should be ultimately pursuing? Maybe you don't know what you're pursuing, but I want to ask you a question. If Jesus really did die and come back to life, could it be that he is what you should be pursuing with your life? Is Jesus the one that you are ultimately pursuing with your life? If we proclaim the resurrection and we sing songs about the resurrection, shouldn't he be what we are pursuing with our lives? Check out what happens next. Look at verse, look at verse 15 now. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walked? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? And he said to them, What things? I love that. What? What happened? <laughs> Cleopas and Mary are heading home. The resurrected Jesus comes alongside of them and starts walking with them on the road. And it, says later that their, their eyes were, have, were, were supernaturally kept from being able to see Jesus. Why? Well, we'll, we'll see that, uh, that they, they didn't see Jesus because Jesus wanted to do something in their hearts. He wanted to talk to them for a little bit. It, think about it this way. If you were to ever see a celebrity, I wonder if anybody's ever seen somebody famous or a hero, and you kind of start to fumble over your words a little bit. We have a, a friend who uh, their, their son plays hockey, and they were playing hockey up at Lars Anderson, the top of the hill there at the hockey rink. And uh, at the hockey game, up walks beside them none other than Tom Brady and Giselle themselves because their son was playing hockey against their son. And she said, I just got a little, uh, my tongue got tired. I didn't know what to say. And, and here in this strange miracle, what Jesus is doing is he's keeping their eyes from, from recognizing him because he wants to address their struggles. He wants them to see Jesus in the Bible prior to seeing Jesus with their eyes. And so they 
don't recognize him and he starts to walk with them a bit. And, and for some of us, I want you to know this. I believe that God has been walking with you for a while now. God has been coming up alongside of your life and navigating the events of your life so that you could, could, could eventually get to the place where you could hear from him and, and, and believe in him and trust in him. Maybe even God himself has brought you here today so that you could see and believe. And even when you feel like he's not there, he is there. And so Jesus asked it to looks like you're in conversation. What are you talking about? And of course, Jesus knew what they were talking about. Psalm 139 says that, that God knows all the words uh, that, are, that are on our tongue, even before we utter them. He knows everything all together. And so he knows your thoughts. He knows your hangups. He knows your, your questions. And so he says, what are you talking about? And it says that they stop and they look sad because they, as far as they know, believe that Jesus is, is dead. They had great expectations for Jesus, but I think, he's, I think he's dead now. And they respond and they say, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know about what happened over these days. Hopefully this will help you to understand that, that Jesus' triumphal entry and, and his, his trials and his crucifixion and his burial, it was a big deal in that region. People knew about it. And that it was so huge, it explains the rapid expansion of Christianity uh, within a matter of weeks. If this were not true, the, the Jews and the Romans who conspired together to crucify him, all they would have had to do is, is show his tomb that they had guarded and say, look, the bones are right here. He's clearly not alive, but they couldn't do that. So many other religious leaders of that day, you have shrines to them. There's no shrine to Jesus because he was alive. They could not prove it. They could not shut it down. Hence the rapid expansion of Christianity. They didn't because they couldn't. So Cleveland says, you really didn't know about what's going on? And Jesus says, know about, know about what? Now listen to Cleopas and Mary's understanding of what's happened. Beginning in verse 19. So he says, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. So they said, listen, we're talking about, we're talking about this guy, Jesus. You, you've heard of, of Jesus? And they go on. He was a miracle worker. He was a prophet. The things that he said and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, this is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, came back saying that they had even seen visions of the angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. So Jesus says, tell me about what happened in Jerusalem. And then what does he do? Catch this. And then he listens. Jesus listens and he hears their struggles. This is the most important day of Jesus's life and the most important day in all of human history. And Jesus chooses to hang out with some doubters some people who have bailed, who were going back home. And he not only chooses to hang out with them, but he, he listens to them. Just in case you've ever wondered, would Jesus hang out with me? Would he entertain my questions? I believe with all of my heart, as we see here and countless other examples in the scriptures, yes, he would. He's hanging out with the skeptics. He's hanging out with the doubters on his big day. And so they go on to tell Jesus, he's a prophet. This guy was a miracle worker. He was a teacher. We thought he was going to save Israel, but he's dead. 
and we heard some of the women in our company came and told us that they went to the tomb and, and it was empty and he wasn't there. So we got hopeful, but we sent the rest of the disciples back and he's not there. So I guess it's, it's over. And so the first 17, they look sad. I wonder if we were here today and we feel a little bit sad. Some of us feel frustrated, feel confused. It's been a, it's been a year, right? It's been a, a tough year of a lot of loss. Some of us maybe feel unsatisfied and we just don't know. Uh, but I want you to know that Jesus would do for you what he does for these two today. And he says, I want to lift your heads. I want to answer your questions. I want to show you how I meet in your story. Be reminded that Jesus is alive and that affects everything. Listen to how he responds to these two sad disciples in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter in to glory, and he beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So how awesome is this? Jesus is walking with them, and, and, and for the remainder of their seven-mile walk, he begins to explain how the entire Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the, the first half of our Bible, point to him. And what an amazing way to learn is walking alongside of Jesus and, and not just sitting in a classroom, but thinking creatively about how to learn. You can walk with Jesus and you can hear from Jesus. When my son uh, was younger, he had a classroom where they had uh, a strange contraption in the classroom. And I, all I can think to call it is the ball table. They had this table and there were five bars coming off of the table. And at the end of each bar was essentially a yoga ball so that if the kids ever just needed to to change scenery or they're getting a little antsy, the teacher would just say, go sit on the ball. And I think, man, as we were about to renovate this space, anybody want to agree that we could just maybe get a yoga ball table in the office? At least for me, I could utilize that. That would be, that would be excellent, right? It's just, I mean, they're, they're, they're with Jesus and they're this interesting, great way to learn is to go on this walk with him. I mean, hashtag best Bible study ever. And he responds to their doubts and he says, oh, foolish ones. Slow to believe the prophets spoke about this, referring to the Old Testament, the Jewish scripture. Can I just give you an example of how the prophets spoke about this? In Psalm chapter 22, which is historically proven to have been written before the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, it was historically proven to have been written 700 to 1,000 years prior to Roman crucifixion as an execution method even being invented. Listen to Psalm 22. And I'm just going to read you a few verses here. Many bulls of Bashan encompass me, surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay in me the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. And they stare and gloat over me, and they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Did you hear this? Written before the invention of the cross, poured out like water, my heart like 
wax melted within my breast. The, the crucifixion was designed by the Romans to prolong the agony of death. And under great distress, the, the heart sack would fill up with water to protect the heart. And when Jesus' uh, crucifixion took place, they, they would have taken the spear and punctured in his side his heart. And so he would have had his heart pour out like water. Uh, David goes on and says, my, my tongue sticks to my jaw, barely able to get the words out. So dehydrated, Jesus on the cross, 700 to 1,000 years later, says, I thirst, I thirst, and they give him sour wine. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. How explicit, that, can, you, can you get them that right there? Again, pre-crucifixion, this is no coincidence. I can count all my bones. The Jews asked Pilate to break the legs of those being crucified so that they wouldn't hang on the cross on Saturday on their Sabbath. But John records that when they come to, to the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, he had already died. So there was no need to, to break his legs. And so I can count all my bones. Psalm 22 goes on. They divide my garments and cast lots. That's exactly what they did. They gambled for the clothes of Jesus. You cannot fake this stuff well before crucifixion was invented. And Jesus would go on and on on this walk with them for hours, just pointing them to the Old Testament so that they might hear and believe, that they might believe in Jesus before they see Jesus with their eyes. But let me tell you this. Of all the proofs of the Bible, I've never debated anybody into a relationship with Jesus. Of all the proofs in the Bible, I've never sat down and argued somebody to come to place their life in the hands of Jesus. What I've seen time and time again for people to give their lives to Christ is them knowing the grace of Jesus. And listen again to the grace of Jesus, verse 25. Oh, foolish ones, I'm out of here. I told you this was all gonna go down. What are you doing walking away? Oh, foolish ones, you didn't have the ladies come and tell you that the, the tomb was empty and you still didn't believe? What's wrong with you? Where's your faith? You should know better. Is that what Jesus says? No. He says, oh, foolish ones, slow to believe what was laid out in the scripture. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and enter his glory? And now here's the grace, verse 27. And then he went through all the Bible and pointed them to the things concerning himself. That's grace. A patient, loving, seven-mile walk with God himself. Seven miles with Jesus. He walked this long road with them. Do you realize how long seven miles is? For some perspective, if you were to walk from here and jump on the Emerald Necklace and go all the way to the Boston Common, the far side of the Boston Common, to the State House right there, that's six miles. Go one more mile, you get to the waterfront there, say the, the, the aquarium. That's seven miles. That's, that's how long they had to be with Jesus. How amazing is that? Just a gracious and loving and patient God. They should have believed, but now they're heading home. And he even walks towards home with them. And he could have said, oh, foolish ones, I'm out of here. But he walks with them and he helps them to see him. And I believe that he wants to help you to see him. Now listen to the conclusion, the last few verses of our passage in verse 28. It says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them, and when he was able to eat with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So we're talking 14 miles now, by the way. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. They get to the village that they were heading to. They urge Jesus, Jesus, this has been amazing. Let's, let's keep going. You want to hang out with us? He says, okay, sure. And, and they hang out together. And, and then they have a meal together. And after breaking the spiritual bread of the scriptures, they break the, the literal bread of dinner. And it says that at that moment, their eyes were open. And they see that it's Jesus. And then he vanishes. And they know now that they had been with the resurrected Jesus. And he had killed their doubts. And he had uh, given them belief and and, and then they reflect and they say our hearts were burning within us during that time that we spent with Jesus. Our hearts were burning within us. This is for me my, my favorite resurrection appearance of Jesus for many reasons. The, the grace of Jesus to come up alongside of these people who really maybe didn't deserve it. The, the fact that Jesus was in no hurry whatsoever. It's the biggest day of his life. Seven mile walk. And when he finally gets there... Hey, you want to stay a little longer? Well, sure. And they have a meal together. It's also one of my favorite resurrection appearances of Jesus because I just love the number seven. It's, my, it's always been my favorite number. It's my baseball number as a kid. Seven miles on the road with Jesus and then dinner with Jesus. Have you ever been on a road trip with somebody? You ever been on a road trip with somebody and you learned that, wow, they actually drive me crazy. Was this not a good idea to bring them on the road trip? They snore. They, they smell a little funny when all the doors are, are, are shut and it's a little stuffy. And maybe they, you know, they just talk too much about themselves and by the end you're, you're done. With Jesus, listen, our hearts were burning within us. His friendship, his demeanor, his questions, his responses, his care for our souls. Listen, we come to a, a critical juncture in our road right now. In a sense, we have spent the last hour or so with Jesus. And I don't know what he's doing in your heart. My prayer is that he's been creating this stirring within your heart like he did in, in their heart. That you see that Jesus is gracious towards you. That though you don't have answers and, and, and all the answers and you're a little bit confused and skeptical at times and you're wrestling through some things, Jesus is patient with you and he's just so glad that you're here and he takes time with you and walks with you. And on the road, what he tells him is he says, it's necessary, it's necessary that the Christ should suffer these things. Why is it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? It was necessary because of sin. The Bible says that all have sinned. Even the best of us, everybody has sinned. That God gave us the breath of life when he, he created mankind. He forms mankind with his hands different than he created all the other creatures because he wants a special relationship with us. And all the other creatures, he just said, let there be, let there be, let there be. But when he made mankind, he forms mankind with his hands. And then he, he breathes into mankind the breath of life. And so we are animated and we are alive because of God. You know the story, we all go our own way and we in a way say, God, I don't need you anymore. I'm gonna do my own thing. And when you say to the one who gave you the breath of life, I want to go my own way, I don't need you anymore. He, he gives us what we want. He says, okay, 
I gave you breath, you have no breath. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death, that we will die. And we are all dying. And we will die eternally. That is separation from God. But catch it. God is so loving that he doesn't leave you in that state. That God could have wiped his hands of us and said, have it your own way. But he pursues us and he chases us down and he joins us on our road and he calls us to place faith in him and to trust in him. And he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he died and he paid the price for our sin on that cross. Somebody had to pay the price for our sin and we couldn't do it because we deserved it. He died, the sinless one, taking that punishment on himself so that if we would trust in what he has done, it's a substitution, his life for our life, his death for our death, then we get new and eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. He rises to life on the third day showing that that was just a stop. I was going to die, but I was doing so to show you that I could pay for your sin, and I'm resurrected, and I'm living, and, and I'm God, and you can trust me. You can trust me. Listen, unlike every other religious guru out there, every other faith tradition out there that says you earn your way to God, you perform, you be good enough, God says, listen, I get it. You can't be good enough. None of us are good enough, so God says, I'll come. Rather than you performing and earning your way to me, I will descend and come to you, and I will live the life in your place, the perfect life you couldn't live, and I will die for you so that all you have to do is place faith. Faith is not you going and doing good things. Faith is you trusting in the fact that he has done it for you. That's what we long for every single one of us. Jesus says it was necessary for the Christ to suffer in this way. It was necessary because of our sin, because he loved us so much, he wanted to restore us and to give us life and life eternity. I would pray that if you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, that today you would do that. That today you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm going in one direction, but I want to turn and go back towards Jerusalem. I want to go back towards the Lord. That's what they do. They, they, they've gone seven miles, and it says they went back towards, well, you know, Pastor, you know, I'll think about that. Maybe I'll do that someday. When did, when did they do it? Verse 33 says they did it the same hour. Why not wait till morning? It's, it's, it's evening. They've had dinner. It's probably going to get dark. They're going to get hot on the road. And, but there was this urgency within their souls. And I'm praying that there's an urgency with on, within all of our souls that today is the day. I know the tendency of my heart to grow cold and callous. And if you don't respond today, you never know. You might move on from this moment right here and get busied with life again and forget that God died and God resurrected and God is calling you into a relationship. Even your doubts and your skepticism and your sin and you're thinking you don't deserve it. God says, I love you and I'm walking alongside of you and I want you to follow me. It's an urgency. And so I would pray that today would be your day if you've never given your life to Jesus to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That in your heart you say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I see what you've done for me. And I want to trust in that. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this message. 
God, we are so thankful that you loved us so much that you would die, but the story didn't end there, that you would resurrect to life, and you would show us that you are victorious over sin and death, and you give us that victory, and we can walk in victory, and in the midst of a crazy 15 months, in the midst of a crazy life that we live, we can walk in hope because we have God with us, because we know the victory of the resurrection. Thank you, God. And so, God, I pray that if there's anybody here today who's never given their life to Jesus, that they would see the gracious, loving, patient God who comes up alongside of them and says, I'm with you. And I just want to do whatever it takes to show you that I've been here with you. I'm walking with you. And I'm the Messiah. It was necessary for this stuff to happen. But if you trust in me, you can be made right. So while all of our eyes are closed, I, I imagine in a, in a group this large that there are people out here who have never given their life to Jesus. As I said, the, the Bible tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And so in this moment, I would call you to call on him. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing all the good things. He did it. He did it. It's about trusting in what he has done for you. So maybe you sense God walking alongside of you right now, making sense of burning in your soul. Would you turn from going your own road and would you turn to him right now? And if that's you, I just, in this moment, I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer so that you can, can call upon the name of the Lord and begin a relationship with him. You pray this as a sincere prayer of your heart, not magic words, not hocus pocus. If this is a reflection of your heart to God, you pray this to him to follow him and begin a relationship with him to give him life and life eternal. You can just repeat these words to the Lord. Jesus, I recognize that I need you because I have sinned against you. But today, I'm turning to you. Thank you for coming to earth and living a perfect life. Thank you for dying in my place on that cross. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Thank you for resurrecting to life. Thank you for giving me new and eternal life. I put my life and my eternity in your hands. Help me to live a life forever walking with you. You are my Lord. If that's you, this is the greatest decision a person could ever make. And the Bible tells us that when that happens, you, you cross from death to life. And it says that in heaven, the angels are celebrating your new life, your victory. That this is the best Easter for you because it's the Easter that you became a follower of Jesus. And I'd say others of us here, maybe you're at a place where... You've been in a relationship with Jesus, but you've started to kind of walk away, and I want to invite you back. Be reminded of his grace. Be reminded that he welcomes you back. So often we get further pushed away because we don't think he wants us back, but he wants you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. So you come back to the Lord this time as well. But Father in heaven, we thank you for all that Easter represents. You have been so unbelievably gracious to each and every one of us. So help us, Father, to turn from going our own way. Help us to be a people who walk in your way. Be honored as we respond now. In the name of Jesus, we pray.